0: I've been drinking since I was four, ain't had enough and I still want more. Fill them up again, place the glasses in a, Here's a row. chance
1: for us to tell the stories of of the barmaids who fought for better working conditions and were chasing scabs out of those pubs in Broken Hill.
2: That's Alex Ettling. He's the co-editor of a new book, Knocking the Top Off, A People's History of Alcohol in Australia which explores the changing nature of drinking in Australia and the role it's played in social and economic life over several generations. Knocking the Top Off looks at developments in Australian history from the vantage point of workers and marginalized communities, the exploited and depressed. It explores alcohol's often contradictory place as a method of recreation, a means of social control, a symbol of equality and liberation, and a sharp point of debate concerning morality, commerce, and health. Similarly, the role of pubs, clubs, and other alcohol-based venues in fostering trends in music, art, and politics is uncovered, as well as their role in places in which exploitation and discrimination has been both reinforced and challenged. In exploring the who, what, where, and why of intoxication, knocking the top off delivers an inclusive and incisive alternative history of Australia. Today's show comes to us from our colleagues at the Melbourne-based Solidarity Breakfast Podcast, which you can find wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as at laborradionetwork.org, along with lots of other labor-focused radio shows and podcasts. And on Labor History in Two.
3: The year was 1869. That was the day a new union named the Noble and Holy Order of the Knights of Labor was
2: founded. I'm Chris Garlock, and this is Labor History Today. Hey,
0: this is Dan Galadner from Tales from the Ruther Library. I'm proud to be part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network with more than 200 labor radio shows and podcasts from across the country and around the world. The Labor Radio Podcast Network, where working people speak. Find us at laborradionetwork.org.
4: And a very
3: warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast.
4: We're going to now turn to (laughs) Alex Edling. He's the co-author of uh, Knocking the Top Off, a people's history of alcohol in Australia. I caught up with Alex on his busy schedule of launching. So you've had a a giddy round of launches for your Knocking the Top Off, uh, a people's history of alcohol. It's been quite exciting for you, hasn't it?
1: It has. We have gone all over the country. We started off in Brisbane and, um, you know, that was a personal thrill for me because I love um, the Saints and I love the go-betweens and we found all sorts of ways to talk about the Brisbane punk scene and the way that uh, connected with, with politics in, in Australia. They sort of had these curious connections through uh, the singer of the Saints, Chris Bailey, his sister, Margaret, who had been um, expelled from every school in Brisbane over a mini skirt. And uh, she ended up, um, you know, support, I think it was quite influential on her younger brother to be a bit um, anti-establishment and to sort of help them get gigs. And, and, and invariably, they ended up having their own um their own venue in a share house which they dubbed club 76 and um that was an example of an informal venue but um you know we were looking at all sorts of different angles from those that that sort of informal drinking to the the place of pubs in our lives and um so from brisbane we went all the way to broken hill don't ask me how that makes sense to be on the journey but and then to uh canberra and uh Sydney, Melbourne, Hobart next year, so it's all happening.
4: Yeah, yeah, it's very exciting. And you bring up um, that site of um, informal drinking in Brisbane. Uh, This book is really quite fascinating because it uh, goes through a whole range of different um, interesting elements to the Australian history and people's connection to alcohol. But in a... um, in a academic sense, you take a particular point of view, don't you? There, there's a strategy in this.
1: Well, I think we, more than anything, we wanted to take the moralism out of it. Of course, it's a highly moral question. The history of alcohol in Australia is all about people's attitudes to um, these questions, not just these questions, but you could, if you were, if we were to do a book about sex or or other sort of you know questions like this, of course, you have to tussle with that. But, um, you know, I think in a way that sort of thing's obscured um, talking about. I'm kind of surprised that people haven't written about that much about this topic before, given that I think we all kind of feel like alcohol is such a big part of all our lives. Even if you don't drink, it's a part of your life because it's hard to escape. So we wanted to sort of, we didn't want to write a sermon about, You know, um, that drinking is bad or on the other side that you can party your way to revolution. We sort of wanted to, um, yeah, just sort of, you know, get a whole bunch of contributors together and say, well, let's look at it from different angles. And it is um, a complicated, vexed question because um, often the most useful aspects of um, alcohol as a socializer or something that makes you feel good that can bring people together can also tear people apart can make you feel awful can you know really run things off the rails so um i think you know we all kind of know that but actually having you know a bunch of historians go away and research um a Whole bunch of topics from you know, right from invasion to early colonial days to the story we had last year when the um, the anti fascist bartender spat in the beer at the Irish pub. You know, we've covered 200 plus years of stories and tried to really give a rounded, varied picture of how alcohol fits into social. Our social lives, our economic lives, as well, for that matter.
4: Well, it's um, it's it's like those grand, groundbreaking um, studies that say took a commodity like coal or um, or s- a- a- any commodity and then explored the social and economic realities that are connected to it. But you've also done something else. You've decided to do it from the point of view of the working class. And those who, um, and that of course then brings in class struggle, doesn't it?
1: Absolutely. I mean, there is that, um, you know, we called it a people's history. I guess maybe um, we could have called it a radical history, but, I, you know, there's a great tradition of, of that term, people's history. You know, people would know Howard's in his classic book about American um, history that went through that, that lens. And, you know, there's kind of enough books written about. Kings and queens and prime ministers and lawyers, you know, so when, when we win something progressive, there'll be a lawyer quick to take credit. But we know very well, listeners to this program, that it is ordinary people and uh, people power, Uh, organising, they get these things, and they're often not the people who have their stories told. So, yeah, it's very much the the framework. And um, the way that I like to explain the idea of people's history is that it's sort of the window that you choose to look out of of a building. So I I imagine a a pub, and um, you could imagine, you know, just where in Melbourne you can, um, you know, take... you know, on the corner of um, of uh, Flinders Street and uh, Swanson Street, Young and Jackson, you know, the this grand pub. If you looked out the nicest window, what do you see? You see beautiful church and you see everything, you know, well manicured and you see the best of everything. But what happens if you choose to look out of a different window? You look out the back window into the alleyway and you see the people, the workers rolling in the kegs and you... You might see in a previous hundred years ago or whatever you might have seen um, sex workers playing their trade or SP bookies or homeless people or you see the more uh, a more rounded picture of life, the people that are marginalized, the people who actually do the work. So yeah, that's our approach to history with this book. Um, I'm sure that you know, John Elliott and these big um, barons of the brewery industry or people you own a lot of pubs they often have their stories told and um, here's a chance for us to tell the stories of of the barmaids who fought for better working conditions and chasing scabs out of those pubs in Broken Hill when we were there I very much enjoyed telling that story um, pouring pe- pepper onto the the meals of of scabs who are breaking their picket line. So, um, yeah, we've uncovered all sorts of things like that.
4: Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, In fact, this book is uh, full of absolutely astounding little-known facts. One of them that just took my breath away was uh, that Joseph Stalin was on the front of the Women's Weekly.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, we did cover quite a bit about the early communist party. I mean, I suppose it's a, um, it's a period of promise. It doesn't really matter in some senses, um, what, what happened to the communist party. But when you think about all the, those early people who, you know, they'd seen what had happened in Russia, they saw the, you know, workers power there. And, um, yeah, there was, um, uh, we were, I was particularly interested in the bohemian connections because then as now, you know, a lot of people who are interested in arts and who are sort of forward thinking in music and film and art, they take an interest in um, social equality. And um, so no surprise that in Melbourne as well, people would meet at the, um, often the sort of Italian continental sort of styled cafe bistros. And this is when, you know, I was... Almost illegal to get a wine, you know. They'd have to have um, vases on the table, so in case the licensing inspector came, they could tip the wine in. But those early Reds, Reds and Radicals would would um, rub shoulders there. And I think that you know it's hard to actually evaluate the poor decisions that were made, but clearly they were talking and and reimagining a better world. So um, we we went we sort of used that story to also then get into the nitty-gritty of, well, what happened to the Communist Party? And you get all the... Uh, and, you know, we looked at people like Noel Coonahan, the artist who did some really heroic things, like, the you know, being in the free speech cage up in Brunswick, and he used to go around um, go around uh, Australia with Judah Watton cartooning people, and he'd meet people in the pubs and sort of pay his way through that. Um, you know, he was someone who... Was yeah, as a Stalinist, and um, but you know, started off in a very different sort of journey. So um, you get all the way up to that curious point during Second World War when Joseph Stalin is um, on the cover of Women's Weekly because he was an ally of the Australian government. So you know, the communists were sort of at times quite accepted, but at times, um, you know, the worst enemies in Australia hounded by ASIO and also at times just sort of these eccentric bohemians that you'd see sort of in line with the modernist artists.
4: Yeah, it's really fascinating. I thought it was fascinating the picture of William Lane as well. He, He was a fairly unattractive character, wasn't he? (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah, well,
1: very popular, which is um, quite astounding for us, given that the book is about alcohol. But of course, he wanted to talk about people who did not like alcohol at all. <laughs> so William Lane fits into that picture. He wanted to, you know, he didn't like capitalism, but he um, basically, he didn't want to have a revolution. He didn't want to bother with all that. He wanted to just set up a new society from scratch in the society we live in today. Now, a lot of people have uh, tried communes, and there's a lot of debate about whether this is possible. His approach was to actually um, get a massive sailing ship, ship a sailing ship, try to entice people to come, go all the way to South America, and form a new society there on um, you know a sort of new socialist ish society, and uh, they called it New Australia and uh, New Australia in Paraguay of all places. And, um, you know, we like to think that um, socialism will be about equality and um, freedom of choice and all sort of these sorts of things. But there were two two main rules which really um, got in the way of William Lane's designs, and that was William Lane did not want alcohol at all. So there was a ban on alcohol, and he was absolutely racist to the core. He did not want people um fraternizing with the locals so um inevitably um this experiment collapsed very quickly because people did want to drink and they did want to um yeah go across the color boundaries and talk to the people who were their neighbors so um yeah you know we take a very um we we examine the people within the left and different projects because it wasn't all rosy and um you yeah, know certainly there's a there's some utopian projects in there, for uh, better or worse, and um, yeah, I guess our approach is like, let's look at everything, let's throw it all on the table, and maybe out of that we'll sort of see, well, where do we want to go from here as well? What are the what are the projects and the strategies which have really worked for us? And so we've used sort of stories around alcohol to do that, but um, yeah, also just to um, um, yeah have a, a rolling <laughs> good read through Australian history, really.
4: You're with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast, and uh, you can hear the full interview that I did with Alex on the podcast. Now available at 3CR is Knocking the Top Off, A People's History of Australia.
3: I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labour History in Two. (laughs) On this day in labour history, the year was 1869. That was the day a new union named the Noble and Holy Order of the Knights of Labor was founded. It started in Philadelphia as a secret society of tailors, but soon the knights expanded to workers in other trades. The knights' unions were vertically organized. This meant each union included all workers in a given industry, regardless of craft. This was a different philosophy from most unionism of the time, which focused on craft-based organizing. The Knights also accepted workers of all skill levels as well as women. African Americans were also accepted after 1883, although often in segregated locals. The most well-known Knights leader, Terence Powderly, took office in 1879. By 1886, the group had grown to more than 700,000 members. The Knights championed the cause of the eight-hour day. While the Union supported boycotts and arbitration, it remained very weary of strikes as a tactic. The Knights did support the Chicago general strike for the eight-hour day that started on May 1, 1886. After the bomb incident at the rally in Haymarket Square, the Knights were unfairly singled out for blame Due to the backlash over Haymarket, the Knights' membership suddenly and dramatically declined. The widespread repression of labor unions in the 1880s led to the union's demise the newly emerging American Federation of Labor replaced the Knights of Labor at the head of the labor union movement. The AFL focused on organizing by craft as opposed to industry. But the Knights of Labor had helped to show that inclusive unionism was possible. Labor must reap what labor does sow. Labor must reap what labor does Like what you hear? Check out so. more at laborhistoryin2.com.
0: There's a character I've met in my travels And of him in this song I will tell Just listen and you'll be reminded Of someone like him you know well He annoys everyone who is near him Sitting there on his bar stool He's a really nice bloke when he's sober Got a pain in the rear when he's full
2: And that's it for this week's edition of Labor History Today from our colleagues at the Melbourne-based Solidarity Breakfast podcast, which consistently produces really interesting shows like the one you just heard. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as at laborradionetwork.org, along with lots of other labor-focused radio shows and podcasts. You can subscribe to LHT on your favorite podcast app. Even better, if you like what you hear, and we sure hope you do, like it in your podcast app, pass it along, and leave a review. That really helps folks to find the show. Labor History in Two is a partnership between the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. That's a labor-themed radio show out of Pennsylvania. Our music today was My Pal Alcohol and... He's a good bloke when he's sober, both by Slim Dusty. Labor History Today is produced by the Labor Heritage Foundation and the Kalmanovitz Initiative for Labor and the Working Poor at Georgetown University. You can keep up with all the latest labor arts news. Subscribe to the Labor Heritage Foundation's weekly newsletter at laborheritage.org. The Labor History Today team includes... Ben Blake, Patrick Dixon, Leon Fink, Sherry Lincoln, Joe McCartan, Evan Papp, Jessica Pozak, and Alan Weirdak. For Labor History Today, this has been Chris Garlock. Thanks for listening. Keep making history, and see you next time.
0: So, with each drink, they gather more wisdom, while good manners take the back seat, and they butt in on your conversation for you until you retreat. Then they start on the barmaid Obama while swaying there on their barstool. So they're pretty nice folk when they're sober. But a pain in the rear when they're full all together. Then they start on the barmaid Obama while swaying there on their barstool. So they're pretty nice folk when they're sober.